huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Candley Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection Now with your hosts, Nikki Leach and Richard O. Shields, bringing your inner light to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Everyday Connection Now. I'm Richard O'Shields. I had to think about that for a minute. And then uh, sort of almost directly to my left, I don't know, over there, Nikki Leach. How are you doing, Nikki? I am. I'm going to find that little groundhog. I'm going to hunt him down. And I'm going to shove him so far up his hole. Oh, uh-oh. I tell Animal you, it was right here on Everyday eight Connection. degrees yesterday, and it is bloody, like, white, can't see two feet in front of my face, snowstorm today. And you drove. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, I did. George took care of me, as always, and, you know, it's all good. I just, you know, Winter, I love you. No, I don't. But, I, you know what, we've had a good run but it's time for you to go. <laughs> it's really time for you to if go. If you don't go, you can't think, come back again. What? That's right. Everybody's just like, um, wow, is it ever going to end? Yeah. Like, it's crazy what, up here. What, it's crazy. Because it did. It seemed on? like it, you were about to have the big melt. What do you call it? Wet week? Oh, or yeah. Wet couple of weeks? But wet week, is what <laughs> you say before, it may last longer yeah, than but, days, but um, when things thaw and everything's wet and... But then it came back. It went, uh-uh. Yeah, I was all looking forward and to it. Boom, boom. I had my rubber boots ready and everything. I was like, yeah, it's going to get dirty. No, no. we're just going to get white. Just going to get cold again. No. Get cold again. Sorry, at least, it's, at least we're taping this in the evening. So it's afternoon here. It's, you know, time change and all. And morning, where our guest is. How cool is that? I love this it's show not even, that. It's not even today there. It's tomorrow there. And I think that's cool. We've done several shows with folks in Australia, and it's always kind of interesting that. And, um, but, yeah, you want to keep up with what's happening to poor Nikki and the weather, you guys got to join us on our morning shows. Uh, <laughs> weekdays. It's going to end this week. So yeah, she's saying it's all over. You don't have time to tune in for it because... But she's told me the cold weather down. is all over twice Done. now, and it yeah hadn't worked so much. But well, when she gets really irritated, yeah, even the winter weather might be scared. I'm scared, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, I, live, I live you know most of a continent away, and I'm still a little concerned. <laughs> I want my rubber boots. I want to go play in the puddles. That's all. I just want to go it, play in the puddles. I want it to be gumboot time for puddles. Yes. Yes. I love driving through puddles with my car, making the big splash. Oh, yeah. I'm a kid, I say. Yeah. Jumping in puddles with dog. 
Dogs like that, usually. Yes. I want to go play. Molly's ready because you, you were letting Molly in during one of the morning shows just recently, today or yesterday, because you were like, what are you doing out there? You're going to freeze to death. It's 22 below. Get in here. <laughs> yeah. Molly's just looking at you like, what? It's white and it's fun. I want to play. <laughs> I want to play. So should we talk to our guest? Cause Probably he's, so. Um, he's passed the patient's He's test. entertaining. He is. He is. And uh, uh, almost a kindred short, it seems, from the brief chat we've had pre-show. Uh, we have with yeah, us. Yeah, we just found him. Like, just found him. Author? Yeah, just fell right in there. And right about the time we found him, somebody canceled. And wow, here we are. See, George George does that sometimes. He puts people on our calendar, and then he goes, I was just teasing. You're never going to speak to them. Because it happens. People are on the calendar, and we say we're going to reschedule, and they just, I don't know, they vibrate right on over there. I don't, Away they go. <laughs> Where'd they go? They were here. and um, But we're here, and we have with us a, goodness gracious, author, uh, songwriter, music producer. Uh, I understand travels just a little bit. He's got just a very little bit. Uh, John Rachel. Welcome, John. How you doing? Good morning. I'm doing great. It's, uh, it's Thursday morning here in Japan. It's raining and a pretty miserable day. So I guess we... Well, that's we awesome. <laughs> you you want rain? You you want you probably want what we have here is uh, big big puddles. So there uh, you go. I puddles do. to play in. I'll trade you. The, the promise of spring, you know. Now things will start turning green, and by the end of about the first week of April, Japan will explode in cherry blossoms. It's the most amazing thing you've ever seen. They have a festival around it called the Cherry Blossom Festival, held in every location in the entire country. And it is just majestic. I've seen the trees in Washington and that were brought from Japan, and I would dearly love to be there at Cherry Blossom Time in Japan one time, one day. We can do that. Everyday Connection is going to send me there to do a special or something. Maybe yeah. I'll come do an in-person interview with you. There would be a good. Yeah, we could do that. Yes. Put it. Put it on. Have some tea, some sake, some something. Yeah. Sake. Sake bombs. I think I've had enough of those for my whole life. So I don't in, drink anymore. In my little hometown, they have a place that, you know, made sake traditionally for hundreds of years. And they have the old, big old uh, wooden caskets or barrels or whatever you call them. And uh, this is a very traditional kind of setting that I live in. I'm surrounded by rice and bean fields. And the loudest sound that I hear each day is the ringing of the temple bells from the Buddhist temple up on the, on the, on the hill. So it's kind of a fairy tale life that I, I'm leading at this point. Oh, that's so awesome. awesome. I think the most beautiful sight so far I've seen on the planet was definitely the rice terraces in the Philippines. Uh, it yeah. was mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Oh, absolutely. I just and, and fell in love. I could sit there for hours and hours and just be. <laughs> there is so much beauty in this, on this planet. I just hope that we don't destroy it because it is just... A, Really, you, know. you could you could live to even with airplanes and all of this stuff, you could live to be hundreds of years old and just be yep. getting started on the list of stuff to see. This is quite a place. Yeah, it is. I'm really not. I'm I'm not overly worried about us destroying it. I'm pretty sure she'll wipe us out long before we manage to wipe her out. So you know, that's kind of my take on the whole the whole thing. I think really the whole 
got to save the planet thing is really just about humanity deciding that they really ought to save themselves because she's much stronger than we are. She's proven oh, yeah. it time and time again, and she will recover. So, and we've been through you know, I just think massive extinctions in the past. It's just the question is whether we're going to be part of the species extinction this time or not. That's really the question. So save the planet is short speak for save ourselves. You know? Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know what, it just comes down to we ought to honor her more. I think that's what it comes down to. We really ought to have a lot more respect. You know, we teach our children to respect the homes in which they live and, you know, to, to take care of the things that they claim ownership of. But we should really be respecting the planet itself and and everything that goes with it because goodness gracious she gives us a lot of gifts <laughs> like just wow you know wow so john anyways how are you and uh i guess i should get to the question because we're just going to talk on through the show without yeah and then where would we be you know <laughs> okay but i'm enjoying it <sighs> Who on earth are you, and what do you do? Well, I'm a, I am now a full-time writer. I have a blog uh, site, jdrachel.com, which is kind of a collection of, uh, uh, it's kind of references all the things I've done. I, I was a music producer and an audio engineer most of my life, but my mini empire collapsed. I was in Portland, Oregon at the time. My mini empire collapsed and uh, was just a shadow of itself by uh, the year 2006. And uh, I decided I needed to really rethink what I was doing. I was hemorrhaging money. I was living in this gigantic house. I had to let my employees go and so forth. What am I going to do? So uh, my first year, I decided to travel around the world. It's been my lifelong dream since uh, I grew up very poor on the north side of Detroit in an industrial white trash community in a trailer park. And my dream has always been to travel the world. I said, you know, I have this big house. I sold it at the top, the peak of the market, the only smart thing I've ever done financially. And I just packed everything up and I left. And I first year around the world, I spent doing something called woofing, which is volunteering on organic farms. And woofing. I just fell in love with, yeah, woofing. We can get more into that later. It's a very interesting way to travel. Uh, but anyway, in the process of doing this, obviously I couldn't produce music anymore. You can't carry a recording studio in your backpack. So I started writing. Um, I've always been writing lyrics and short stories and commentary, but I never really seriously tried to write a book. So I, I started writing, and I, I've really fallen in love with the whole craft of, of putting a book together, and now I've, I'm about to... Uh, my fifth book is coming out officially March 24th called An Unlikely Truth. So I'm well into the process. I have three more books ready to publish after that, a trilogy. Uh, so I'm, I'm very deep into that. Um, most Because my lifelong concerns have not just been with music, but with politics and with community and the state of things, the, the life that we lead, my books tend to be very political. Um, and this this most this this one that's coming out very soon is an intensely political book about uh, electoral reform, the democratic process, and so forth. Anyway, that's how I got to where I am now. I've been in 26 countries since leaving America. I've been back to America three times. 
I have to say that each time I return, it seems to be have progressed further in the direction, in the in the wrong direction, the one that prompts me become more alien. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 becoming a very tense, angry, hopeless place in many ways. I mean, not for everybody, every moment. You know, when you say things like that, people say that's very bleak. You have such a negative view. No, I'm just talking in general. You can sense the restlessness, the frustration, the anger, and then you start looking at statistics and you say, well, of course, you know. Yeah, well, I'm from Houston, and uh, it's interesting because I'm living in Phoenix now, And but when I would come back from Costa Rica to Houston, it was just, well, it was like dropping into the insane asylum or something, really. Nope. Everybody so in a hurry all the time, and it's like, what are you doing? They're going to the corner store to get groceries. Yeah, and, 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 but they're going to run you over to get to the green light. And and it, fortunately, at least in the part of Phoenix where I've found myself, people don't seem to do that. It, but that's it, good. It, what, what, um, so are you in? I'm I'm essentially in Scottsdale. I'm right oh. uh, at the sort of intersection of Phoenix and Paradise Valley in Scottsdale. Okay, and, so you're uh, in the nice part of the town. Okay, nice part of town. And and uh, uh, I guess I. I have barely explored. I have a few trails, and that's it. I, you know, drove in from the interstate to here, and uh, here I am. Uh, I know a few blocks, but um, but it is. We do. We seem like we're all in a big fat hurry to get nowhere, to do nothing, and and, and on edge. Just, I mean, inches from a anger explosion. That tension you were talking about. And this is the thing that I see in the in the news. I mean, I just see so much anger and. Uh, and you know, c- coming out of people. Of course, you, you have a country that has 300 million firearms, so you have to expect a few incidents along the way. But I compare that to other places I've been. I mean, these demonized uh, communist countries. I just came back from uh, five weeks in Cambodia and Vietnam. Both those countries are, are communist countries. Oh, my God. But, you, you know, I would see a police officer every now and then. He has no firearms, no weapons, no tasers. He has a funny-looking green uniform with a red belt across the front and directing traffic or just standing there looking forlorn. I mean, you don't... In America, I mean, it's so military... The police are so militarized now uh, with the SWAT teams and everything. And and this is what I I see when I come back there. And I really don't want to be part of it. I don't want to be in the path of this very, very... uh, self-destructive energy, you know? Uh, and, and like you say, it's interesting, you know, you, you just see this frantic scrambling and where is everybody going and why do they have to be on their cell phone? To yeah, just it's, like it's not even at rush hour like they're all trying to get to work. It, mid-afternoon on a Sunday and they're yeah. running each other over trying to get somewhere. What are you doing? I don't... It, it, it certainly doesn't fly in Costa Rica. There were some expats that came down there and tried to continue to live their uh, rushed, hurried life, and the locals just all sit and stare at them, like, what right. are, "Where are you? What planet are you from?" And and it's interesting because they either they either calm down or they leave. They 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 get so frustrated that nobody else is in a hurry that they leave and go find a place where people are in a hurry. It's very interesting. Human and nature. That's scrambling. Stuff. Some of the scrambling is is justified. I mean, people are scrambling. They're scrambling to make enough money to put food on the table and to keep their credit card payments up and so forth. But a lot of it is just symptomatic of 
comes some sort of national hysteria, you know. And this is what I'm saying. I mean, Japan, every country has its pluses and minuses and has its problems and has its uh, solutions, you know. But at least here, there's some, it, there's some sense and some order. And even some of the poorest countries, I've been in some of the poorest countries in the world. And some of those people, they never stop smiling. It's like, my God, you, you have one corn cob for lunch to feed a family of four and you're, you're you're breaking it in half and sharing it with your guests from America and you're sitting there smiling and everybody's happy, you go, something's wrong. <laughs> I missed something. <laughs> if there's, totally. if, what did you guys get? If the Philippines of was this stuff is just making people so miserable, they, they, we, we need to rethink things, you know? That's all. That simple. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. No, that's totally okay. I'm just we in total agreement with you because I was living I was living in Toronto when I went to the Philippines and even in Manila, which is a super busy city, they still have this I mean there's a this glaring obvious difference between the poverty, the poor and the rich and you see it everywhere. I mean there's kids sleeping on the streets and in in doorways and um yet there's just this palpable sense of joy and gratitude for life over there and I I can't it the experience changed my life and then I tried to come back and live in Toronto and that lasted maybe a couple of years and I had to get out because I'd seen I'd seen another way and I'm living in this city where everybody's angry all the time and they're in a hurry and they you know I mean they, they they've got houses that a Filipino family you know the one house with a couple with a baby is living in in Toronto and they're complaining that it's too small and oh, a Filipino family of 10 including the grandparents would be ecstatic to have that much, that much space. space right and they'd be super grateful for it and i just couldn't i couldn't do it and, always and have i know space you're for supposed to find all that. i know you're supposed to to take that joy with you and bring it wherever you go and and you know that's really what I learned from them. It doesn't matter what your situation is; you can still be happy. But at 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 some point, I had to make a choice. I was like, "Is this how I want to live? Do I want to live in this kind of environment?" And the obvious answer to me was, "Hell no! Get out! <laughs> you gotta go, girl! Run. <laughs> get out!" And now I'm living in my dream home in the mountains of Quebec. Life is very slow-paced here. It's very communal. People know each other. They love each other. They support each other. They're grateful for every little thing. When we had the ice storm this year, people were spewing off the gratitude that they had for the fact that, you know, their pipes didn't burst. Even though they went for five or six days without power and heat, they were just grateful that their pipes didn't burst. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's a totally different way of living. Yeah, that go on in one of the big cities here in the states, and you would it would be endless. I've got no internet. How do how do you ah ah? Thank you, I can't, I can't, I can't. Ah, yes, and tell you what. Yet everything that everything that the government and our our financial leaders talk about is growth, growth, growth. We have to keep growing. Well, <clears throat> for one thing, growth cannot go on in infinitely. And the whole premise is wrong. I, I thought of, actually, I read an article and thought of something really interesting the other day. 
When I was growing up in the 50s, <clears throat> I remember reading Popular Science Magazine, <clears throat> and they talked about the future. The future, we're going to have these little robots that run around the house, you know, and do all our, our all the mundane tasks. Uh, we're only going to be working 20 hours a week because everything, so much has been automated, and all of the all of the benefits of technology were going to be uh, dispersed among the population, and we would all be living effectively in some sort of a uh, utopia of our own creation. Now, you compare that to what the state of things is now. Is all we talk about is growth, 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 work harder, work harder. And yes, we have become more productive and we are more automated and we are more mechanized. But who's benefited? In the last 30 years, while every other industrialized country in the, in the world has the, the, the length of the work week has gone down, in America, the number of hours worked by the average American has gone up 20%. So people are working many more hours for less money. And where are all the robots that are making dinner and making our life? You know? Yeah, they got one little vacuum now, but it doesn't do it very well. And that's about all we got. The robots that are robots. making dinner are called wives, love. Yeah. Step Those <laughs> robots that vacuum your house are great. Have, they're great friends. You know, they're like house pets. Only they don't they don't do any they don't you don't have to take them outside, you know, for I love that. Uh, <laughs> there's a YouTube video where somebody's cat likes to get on top of the thing and ride around the room. And I thought that was great. I say, Oh, there is a use for those things. Cat entertainment devices. <laughs> so I, I guess I guess what drives me is looking at the broader agenda of a society and I look at these different societies and you know when you get down to where you're living in Quebec and what you mentioned that is the kind of life I have here a lot of older people but people that care about one another we I mean the doorbell rings all summer long people bringing me vegetables and uh, from their gardens and whatever it's just and that's really what people want. People want a sense of community, belonging. They want friends. They want their kids to grow up healthy and strong. They want food on the table. They want to have love in their life, good sex. These are the basic things. But none of those things play into the kind of future that our leaders talk about. It's always about economic growth, and we have to you know, plunder more resources and this and that. Increased productivity and... Create more jobs, create more jobs, create more jobs. Well, what they mean is create more low-paying jobs is what they're saying. I know. Yeah. I hate that line in politics. When politicians use that to get votes, it just drives me crazy. It's like, what are you thinking? Like, we're not all mindless peons. And That how, line's not going to work get, forever. Because how, many, how many people can flip burgers and stand at the drive-up window of McDonald's? I mean, there's only... So pretty, pretty soon you don't have enough in line to get burgers because the rest of them, they're all busy flipping burgers. It's exactly. it's ridiculous. Exactly. It's silly. And uh, it's one of my soapbox things because um, so, so Bucky, you, Bucky Fuller talked about it. That it's just a specious notion in the modern world that everybody has to go earn a living. So who benefits from this? This, um, these memes that have been created and that we're assaulted with all the time, who benefits? It's very obvious now with, with the kind of statistics that are coming out, there's a very tiny class of people, 
very, very rich people that benefit from promoting this vision of the world. And the people that serve these individuals are now the people that we have in public office. Uh, there's a direct line between uh, the amount of money a, a, a politician gets and his ability to achieve office. That is the greatest corruption of democracy. We will never hear any other messages. We will never hear anything else unless we literally replace almost everybody who's in public life right now. I know that sounds drastic. It sounds like a lunatic, but just look at the results. We're not getting anything representing we're not getting anything that represents the values and the priorities of people from the people that we put in public office because they answer exclusively to a tiny class of individuals who are driving this agenda that we're talking about. So I yeah, have well, I think you know cuz I think the founding fathers that's why it was supposed to be this vote thing was then the politicians would be responsive to the people that had to vote for them. But it's now turned into this being responsive to the people that give you enough money for your ad campaign because right. that's the public's not educated enough to handle it. So we'll give them a few sound bites and lead them along by the nose <clears throat> sort of attitude. So what I, what I, what I did over the past two and a half years, and uh, I don't know whether this is interesting or not. I find it interesting that I actually wrote this book two and a half years ago, and then I released another book in the meantime, and then finally an unlikely truth is coming out. I came up with a strategy. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't claim to be an expert on everything uh, electoral, but I know that is all I see, and I spend two hours every day looking at mainstream media. I look at international press, and I look at, look at my left-wing sites every day. I follow the news probably more rigorously than, than most Americans do. And I get a very good sampling of what's, what's going on in the world and what's being told to Americans. And basically, uh, America... And can I, can I, can I stop you just for one second? Something that I want to point out to all our listeners, what's going on in the world is not necessarily the same thing as what's being told to Americans. Not even close. Not even anywhere close. In the this neighborhood. whole Ukrainian thing, we could go on for the rest of the show, and I could, you know, I, I see all of the patriotic, uh, lunatic uh, flag waving going on there and saber rattling, and it just shows to me that people are not getting the basic information they need to understand that situation and the demonizing of Putin. I mean, Putin is no hero of mine, but he's been, he's really been the adult voice and the adult in the room in the last year over several crises. He's been the one who's kept the world yeah. from going to world war. So let's not exactly. pick this guy. Let's listen to what he has to say and try to work with him. But this thing between Putin and Obama, which is becoming like a, a, a pissing match between two kids in a schoolyard, is, is a, an absurd way to look at that situation when, when what is at stake is a world war by two countries that are each armed with 10,000 nuclear weapons, folks. This is not a game of badminton. This is scary stuff what's going on. Yeah, this isn't something casual that, you know, well, it's understand U- what the real Ukraine, it doesn't bother us, it's way over there. Yeah, if the U.S. and Russia start shooting at each other, that's going to bother everybody. So anyway... It, 
I, I came up with a strategy for taking on money in politics. I don't know if it's going to work, but I know that I know that there's nothing else out there being proposed. I see a lot of whining and yelling and blaming and name calling, but I don't see anybody who's come forth with a constructive suggestion. So I wrote this in the form of a novel. I put it's about a Green Party candidate who's running for Congress in the 3rd Congressional District of Ohio, which is a military, yeah, it's a very conservative town. You've got Wright-Patterson Air Force Base there. It's surrounded by farm country. Those guys are all red, white, and blue, and uh, super patriots, conservatives. And he's a Green Party candidate. It's his third run for Congress. And last time he got like 1.4% percent of the vote or some negligible amount. I mean, it, it looks completely hopeless for this guy. But he represents a lot of the things that we all want. He wants, you know, Social Security left intact. He wants the military wound down, blah, blah, blah. This intern comes from Rutgers University, and she brings along with her my strategy, a strategy for taking these people on. I'm not going to give away the whole thing. It's kind of technical, but within the context of the book, it's very well explained. I argue the pros, the cons, the legalities, the ethics, everything. The characters argue this stuff so people can see exactly how this works and what it promises to do. But basically, it's connecting voters with the treachery that is being perpetrated on them by the people they put in office. It's getting people to understand, I don't want my Social Security tampered with, but my congressman is voting to cut my benefits. I want a minimum wage of $10 per hour so that my grandson or my uh, nephew can make a decent living, but I can't get that done. I want GMO labeling on my foods, but Congress won't pass that. Getting people to understand their own congressmen are owned by corporations, and they're despite what they say in their campaign promises, they're not doing it. Yeah, con- but, Congress isn't gonna Congress isn't gonna vote it in. The the corrections that we need aren't gonna come from inside that building. Well, no, this they're just not. This group of congressmen will not. If we if we replace them with people that answer directly to their voters, their constituents. We can get all the changes we want. So I introduced something into the equation. It's called, they're called pledges, but effectively they're legally binding contracts that are forced upon the people that we vote into office. They either sign these or they don't get our vote. It's that simple. And they're, they're very issue-oriented. So within each community, whatever issues are key to that community are the issues that they focused on to get their congressman to do the right thing. And it's going to vary somewhat, but the amazing thing to me, looking at the, all the polling and everything that goes on, is there, there is a vast consensus in America on a lot of things. Not, 72% of Americans, for instance, want taxes on the rich to be increased. 93% want GMO labeling on their, on their food. 76% want an end to all these wars and, and a decrease in the military. So you, you're talking about huge majorities of people that want something done and their, their own congressmen are not delivering. And so so you would think in a democratic republic like the United States, look at those poll numbers, well, obviously then the government must be doing those things. But no, exactly. not even close. But how so, does that happen? Well, it's money. It's just... 
I saw an article just this morning. It said, "What's the difference between lobbying, lobbyist, and well, lobbying and bribery?" And it said there isn't any difference. One is legal and the other isn't, but functionally they're exactly the same thing. These lobbyists go in there with a bucket load of money, and they have ver- they support the campaigns, and these. These legislatures take the money and they vote the way that they're told to vote. It's that simple. And they they explain to the candidate, you know, look, the other guys got X amount of money, you know, and all those quote campaign advisors unquote, look, you got to have the money, so you're going to have to help these guys out, talk nice, all that kind of stuff. It's ridiculous. I the founding fathers of the United States would be starting a revolution <laughs> or something because this is not what they had in mind. I, this is what I think Franklin had in mind when he said, when he was asked, what have you given us? And, and, and he said, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it, because we've kind of losing tabs on that a little. And I, it, it, it doesn't amaze me, but I guess it frightens me that so many Americans are not either tuned into this or they've given up. Because it's the future, folks. This is the America that you want is being stolen from you. And if people don't get out and do something, it's going to be gone. Uh, uh, one of my favorite authors, Chris Hedges, uh, points out that even though there's this uh, aura of permanence about things, we figure, oh, you know, I go to the bank, I put in my ATM card, I'll get money. I go to the store, there'll be food on the shelves. You know, there's a, there's, we all take for granted that all this stuff is permanent. But you know what? It can come crumbling down in a heartbeat. Our, th- this, this structure that we've created, because it's so huge and unwieldy, is also very, very fragile. I don't know whether people realize, but I've seen statistics that if the food chain, the process that we use, the, the mechanism we use for delivering food into our supermarkets, and by the way, when you look at a plate of food, the average amount of uh, a distance that that your your meal has traveled is fifteen hundred miles. So if somehow that food that chain that supply chain is broken, all of the shelves in America, food shelves would be empty. I think in seven or eight days. Yeah, that's something to think about. You know, <laughs> something to it should scare everybody. We take it for granted. We and really, well, huh? well, but. My concern there is with the word scare. I don't think that scare is the most constructive word to use in this instance. I think people need to be aware of it. I think maybe it can disgust them. I think it should inspire them to get involved, to educate themselves, to find out what's really going on. But getting scared isn't the solution because when you get scared, then you feel powerless. You get in the and corner the power, and do nothing. Quite frankly, <clears throat> the power up. is in the purchaser. And when the people realize that, shit's going to change. But they need to wake up and figure that out. They need to really take a look at how much power they have. Because if you can't get the government to do what you want, go to the corporations. You don't want GMO food? Okay, tell them you're not going to buy it. And see how fast they scramble. A major chain in the U.S. just decided they're not going to allow any more GMO corn in their stores. Why? Because their customers said, we're not going to buy it. So you might as well stop putting it on the shelves. 
and and we're going to go somewhere else. And the people always that was what the if the founding fathers had one thing to communicate. It was that the power rests with you, the people, not the government ever. It's by the consent of the government governed, whether you know you're giving your consent or not. It, it, it government is always by the consent of the governed. It's right. never and never been the case that the king had enough people to overwhelm the peasants if the peasants got together. Yeah, I was just going to say, even in a monarchy, and by the way, Nikki, your point is very well taken, and I've said that many times to people, and for some reason it falls on deaf ears. The most powerful tool for change is in your pocket, and it's kind of a shade of green. That, that Absolutely. Absolutely topple the system. They can completely turn the system around because money is the lifeblood of corporations. That's all they think about. It's all yeah. they're concerned about. And, 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 and it, does make a, it does make a difference, and it can do it fast. I look around here, the grocery stores, almost all of them, even the big corporate chain grocery stores, have a section now in produce that says, you know, grown here in Arizona. Right. Well, that's a response to people beginning to, to make noise about, we want some local food. Sure. And so is the birth of the elect or the rebirth of the electric car. We just did a bit on it in the morning show the other day. It, it, listening to the way that these these corporate heads for car companies talk about the power of the purchaser and this is what the people want. We have to give it to them or else we're going to go under. Right. The head of GM says that. The head of Nissan says that. These are powerful freaking people and they're saying that if the young people of today are demanding that we respect their desire with regards to improving and reducing emissions, then we have to do this or else we're going to lose our businesses. That's right. huge. And it is, the, it is the power of the people to be able to do. And to, uh, but I, I, I do have to hark back to your point about, you know, that you've seen lots of whining and lots of, it was kind of like Occupy. Occupy was, and, and I was very inspired that Occupy happened. I was glad that it did, but because you kind of have to realize there's a problem before you even look for a solution. But absolutely, there's just no accomplishment in wah, wah, wah. Where's the, <laughs> where's the ideas? Who's, well, I, I, you know. I, think, I, think, I think OWS was maybe chapter one or the preface of a longer book. I, mean, I, I do too, but I believe that. Occupy, but. Was, Occupy was a game changer. It literally, it changed this whole thing about the 1%. It created a meme which never existed before, and that is what we're talking about now. I mean, even the United Nations is saying the greatest threat to world security and the continuation of the human race is the imbalance, the inequality of wealth. So. Occupy really accomplished a lot, even though it didn't have a specific agenda. I think it's just that was just the previous. And I believe that I believe that a lot of those people, rather than just going away, you think, okay, the protest cleared out of the square, so the, all, all those people just, just they're gone. They're not gone. Mm-mm. I think there's a lot of them that are sitting having coffee, uh, and maybe even sitting having coffee talking on the radio about, okay, that was cool, and really glad that happened. And, I mean, we were throwing parties. Now what are we going to do? But, but so here's the thing that we think, you know, let's try this, let's try that. Let's, uh, I even saw people talking about the, the uh, mechanism in the U.S. Constitution. You know, what do you do if everybody in Congress is, like, doing the wrong thing? Is there, but they're the only ones that can pass 
legislation and amendments. And No, they're not. There's a mechanism in there built in because the guys were had enough forethought to know that, you know, a group of people could get together and make this wonky. So we want to give the people, remind the people that they have the right to amend the Constitution without Congress's permission. We need not their blessing. They can tell us all it's a horrible idea. But if we can get together as, as, as a people and vote for it, it is the law of the land. So on you. But the and, question is how do you get people galvanized enough about any of this stuff to get them to do something like that. I mean, this is the problem that I see, and I understand everybody's busy. People are working two jobs, and they've got, you know, all sorts of uh, personal challenges and whatever. Uh, but how do you get people organized, just even talking to one another? The one thing I've noticed coming back to America is you do not bring up politics because people will, they just, the wall goes up. They don't want to talk about it. It's too volatile. It's, there's too much anger and a lot of these people are armed, so you don't want to, you don't want to have taking a bullet just for expressing your opinion. How do you get people talking to one another again? I mean, this show is one valuable way, but um, well, and I think there's more of that growing. I think actually, I think if I may say, can I jump in here as an author? I think your idea of writing this book is a brilliant way to get people talking about it because. Think about some of the greatest movies of all time that have inspired positive action. The greatest novels of all time that have inspired positive action. Because the best way to get this information into people's hands is put it in the form of entertainment. I Turn think- it into a good story. A really good inspirational story that they're learning something from while they're being entertained. That's right. genius. Well, thank you. That's I, I, next level thinking. I've, I've gone back and forth because I wondered if couching it in a novel trivialized it. I mean, I had a, I had, I won't even mention this man's name, but he runs a very, very, the best known uh, progressive news site on the planet. He said he wouldn't read my book. I sent him a free copy. I won't read it because it's a novel. I only read nonfiction. I, I yesterday I sent the book to Chris Hedges and to um, Noam Chomsky. Today I'm sending it to a guy named Jim Hightower. You know Jim Hightower? Mm. Phenomenal guy I've been following. for. I've sent this to some of the most famous people in America. I only hope that they take the time to read it. And like I said, I don't know if I have all the answers, but I think there's a kernel here for beginning, for taking an approach which will, will totally blindside these play-for-pay politicians. They're not going to see this coming because it works within the system. OWS was squashed because it worked outside the system. The government could see, my God, we've got, this isn't a bunch of unwashed hippies. You've got soccer moms. You've got grandmothers and grandpa. Everybody is out on the streets upset. That's why they squashed it. We've got to do something about that. <laughs> before, huh? it, no, right. they it, did. They and, said, we've got to do something about that before more people notice. So they yeah. broke it up. John, I agree with you. One of the things we talk about most on the show and why we do what we do, you can stand outside of the system and bitch about it all you want and point your finger and say they're doing it wrong. But why not get your hands dirty? Why not become a part of the system? If you really want to initiate change, if you want to see things improve, then you have to get in there. Get dirty. Do some heavy lifting. 
become a part of the system and initiate changes from within. You don't like the way media is doing it? Okay, become a part of the media. Switch it up. Stand your ground. Here's a challenge to your listeners. If there's anybody out there who absolutely hates their congressman, this guy is one of these blowhards who's ruining the country, I'll fly to your community. Give me a corner of a room to stay and just feed me, and I will organize my plan. I will put together my strategy to show that it will work. Because it, it is all it is is people. It's just getting people talking and going out and talking to others. Mine doesn't require a lot of big money. It requires time. It requires boots on the ground. And it, re- it requires commitment. None of that has to cost big bucks. You don't have to wear Very little. You know, because, in fact, this has always been true. Even in, the, even in this age of big media, the reason why big media tries to get people's attention is because they want, you know, if people see something on television, they tell others about it. They talk to others. The whole word of mouth thing is still the most powerful tool in a free society. And that's all I'm asking is get out and talk to people and implement this strategy and throw one of these bums out. I'll tell you something right now. If this happened in one very key congressional district, if my strategy worked, boy, I'll, people, these guys would start paying attention. Well, yeah. They, they would, they'd start going, wait, Almost wait. like people that were in fear for their life or career or what, but, but, but private that, yacht. And, and that is the essence of the strategy. The only way these guys listen to anybody is if you threaten their job. That's why they're listening to the corporate donors. The corporate donors are saying, here, here's X amount of money. And if you don't take this money and you don't toe the line, we're going to give it to this person and we're going to smear you and you're not going to get elected. Yeah, you won't even be able to go to the bridge club anymore or the chess match or whatever it is because everybody's going to hate you. We're going to destroy you, little pipsqueak, with our media roller steam thing. Or they're going to primary them. Well, all over the country where these where good, decent politicians who stand up for the right thing are being primaried by a bunch of right wing wacko nut jobs that are funded by the Koch brothers. Well, and, 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 you know, you mentioned Ukraine and we don't want to get off on that because that's that's a multi show series. But uh, I saw a piece I come through Reuters AP because we do this morning news show. I, I look at all of it and I we only report the good news because we don't think talking about the bad news unless you're going to offer a solution like you have is that effective. But um, So we that, focus on the solutions. Right. That's what that, we do. We report solutions. That the, the, the politicians in Ukraine that have the, the, the new guys, quote, yeah. in Ukraine um, right. have cut off, they've chosen five channels, and they're all Russian government-owned cable channels, and said, okay, no more, because this is just bombarding people with 24 hours a day that we're all a bunch of Nazis and we're not. Okay. Well, but all of the media is doing that, bombarding you 24 hours a day with, this is what you should be concerned about, this is what you should buy, this is what you should think, and, and they bring lots of pundits on to tell you about it, and then your you know, fellow that you mentioned, Chris Hedges, goes somewhere and tries to talk about it, and 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 then says, I'm not doing this, and throws the microphone down and leaves because it's goofy. And uh, But there's more and more of that, I think, coming to light. And we did a bit on the morning show, a, a feature on 
television reporters standing up and quitting. You know, this lady from RT wasn't the first one to do that. Right on air, recently. Yeah. Right. And um, um, very encouraging that people are putting their their own values and their integrity ahead of career. That is astounding. Very encouraging. You have to. You have to. And I see people doing it all the time. And that's the beautiful thing about the times that we live in right now is that I, I see it happening more and more every day. And it's it's happening right across the board. I mean, I, I've seen waitresses do it. I've seen people who work in hotels do it, all, all the way up to people who work in hospitals, people who work in the healthcare system, doctors, um, standing up and saying, okay, you know what? We're, we're essentially lying to our patients that these drugs are going to work. We need to find a better way. And they're risking everything. They're risking everything to tell the truth, but that's what they need to do. And so the rest of us need to do it too. Because why is it okay for them to risk their security and their safety to help us if we won't stand behind them? Exactly. And we won't tell them that we've got their back. You know, I get a lot of grief from people who say, oh, you're not, you're not even in America anymore. You don't live there. You hate America. No, actually, I love America because America is a country of very incredible people, strong people, people who really want to do the right thing. The problem is the system. It's a system that gives incentive to do the wrong thing, the dishonest thing, to promote the product, to promote the lie, to promote the hype. That's what's wrong, not the people. The people of America are fundamentally very, very good people and want the best for the world. So we just need to take that energy and somehow create avenues within our system so that energy can be expressed and have a positive impact. That's all. Unfortunately, the changes that have to be made are very, very profound, and they're very basic, and they're very technical. A lot of, pe- you know, a lot of this stuff is hard for even scholars to, to, to sort through. But there's a lot of very basic things that need to be done. And if it requires constitutional change, that's what we have to work towards. The Constitution is a man-made document. It was good for its time, but it was flawed from the beginning. For God's sake, it, it, it built slavery into, into the Constitution. There were things about it that obviously needed to, you know, need in these modern times with technology and everything that's happened since then that need to be updated and, and, and made more uh, germane and more in service to the world we live in now. So those are the things that we need to work toward. I'm just trying to figure out how do you get people concerned enough. I, I don't want to use scared because you're right. Fear is a very negative motivator. But how do you get people engaged enough to say, I, I'm going to commit three hours of my time or two hours a day to doing something to make this happen? You know, that's do people even have two hours a day? I don't know. You well, they, you know they the society is built to try to prevent you from having much in the way of time, and yeah. um, uh, but I, I I think that it is happening. I think that right now it's still kind of backroom quiet because um, you know. But I we, we we're seeing more and more surprises in elections. Usually, right now at little local election levels, but that's got to be where it starts. 
Yeah, people people are like, we need a president that's really a good leader. The, the United States was a republic is built on bottom up. It's not supposed yeah. to be top down. Right. And um, uh, you know, people need to look at that democracy versus republic and and things like that. It it um, because I think it boils down to the same same issue that boils down for every other issue we have in society. At the end of the day, if you really want people to to take the time to get involved, you need to convince them that they have the power to do so, that they can. Because right now, people are convinced that they can't. Yeah. And that's going to be, well, that's the, going to be the shift. But there are people convinced that they can, but unfortunately, they're disinformed. I mean, there's a lot of – I see a lot of uh, very rabid uh, – uh, uh, yelling and so forth for people that want to, you know, uh, you know, kill anybody that gets an abortion that wants to kill. I mean, there, there's a, there's lots of passion out there. There's lots of fire. We just need a lot to of fire. Channel it. Very, very destructive. You know. Very well, destructive. yeah, but if get, if I may again, and I know we have to go to break, but if I may again, those people that are shouting at the top of their lungs for things like like um, killing people if they get an abortion. Those people have been taught that they are well within their power to say those things. In fact, they have divine providence to say those things. God has said that that's what they need to say. So right then and there, you have passion that is empowered. And that's the difference. The average person doesn't really feel like they can make a difference. Yeah. And once they tap into their ability to initiate change, even through small little incremental shifts, then they start to realize how much impact they can have. And that's why we're seeing right now the snowball effect, because people went out on the leading edge. They took the risk. They took the chance. One newscaster decided to quit because what was going on in their media conglomerate was against their morals and ethics and within two years i think there was like six or seven more boom 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 like dominoes so that's the thing it just takes I'm one asking, i haven't seen uh, I, I saw one of the uh, mention of one of those in the recent past but do those kind of acts of courage get in the news or is it just more well they do on our news we okay that's why we that's, do the morning news that's that we, why do. we do what we do <laughs> and um um and because we don't like the way the media works, so we're going to get in there. Yeah, and you don't like the way the government works? Get in there. If you don't like the way this is happening, get in there. Don't. It's not stand over here and shout. It doesn't help. I mean, it helps very briefly <laughs> at the beginning, but then you've got to sit down and talk about it. it it's one of the things Absolutely. that blows my mind in this world is when we disagree with some other country, we immediately stop talking to them. Yeah. Well, that's a good way to resolve so things. Weird. That's what. How do you what? Right. I, I mean, at least back <laughs> World War II and before, most leaders of the world would at least admit that yeah, we need to talk to the other side so we can figure out a solution before we all go to war. But like ever since World War II, it's just oh screw it, bomb them. You know, I don't. How did we? What? It's that kind of leap. But I I did a um, video blog called "Take Me to Your Leader" where I I, I take that issue dead on i just say we don't have leaders we have people with charisma we have people that are uh, uh, uh arrogant 
but that's not leadership. No. We have we have people that have uh, great PR teams pushing their image in front of us, but that's not leadership. Leadership involves a lot of intellectual assets. It involves courage. It involves having some sort of central core values. You know, it's not sticking your your finger in the wind to see which way the, the the public is polling. It's looking at an issue and saying, what's the right thing to do? What's the right thing to do for now and for our children and our children's children? What kind of country? That's leadership. And then going ahead and doing it anyhow, whether it's popular or not, or, or, or happy using, with that. This is and, the one and of course, I'm, I'm segueing there with, uh, yeah. because it is, we, we do need to take a brief break. Oh, okay. And, um, but he's uh, so much fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, we're going to have lots more fun because now you're going to when we music, right? We're going to play some music, and uh, this piece was this piece was actually performed live at Occupy, and um, there is a that is on video, and you you guys could find it. But uh, there's another video that's called the Occupy Edit, Occupy Wall Street Edit of Jordan Okren's Anyhow. This is just an awesome video. I'll put it up on Everyday Connections page and share it with all you guys because it's a very cool video. And, the and, and then we are, at a later date, going to get John back to talk on about his music because it has been um, – we do have it at the Flow because yes. John also does music. John also does music, so you can hear it on <laughs> the Flow property. we have to do a whole other show for that. <laughs> yeah, because that's a whole different basket kettle of fish. Uh, but when we come Absolutely. back, I want to talk about a couple of these ideas and talk maybe a little bit more about these social contracts and enforceable things. Uh, because whether it's the right idea or not, we need to be talking about solution ideas. And, and, and uh, so we want to try to take the second half of the show. We're going to talk about some of these solution ideas, toss around some ideas. You guys have some ideas. Share them with us on our Everyday Connection page. Share them with us at, uh, uh, well, we got lots of emails and things. You'd be connecting at everydayconnection.me and, 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 and connect with us and share. You, 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 I don't care if you think it's crazy and nobody else would believe it, but you think it would help, let us know. We might talk about it. You might even end up on the radio. Don't let that scare you. We're, we don't bite. Um, and, uh, of course, we don't have refreshments in the green room because we're all spread around the planet. So, but, so we're all going to go find some refreshments in our own rooms. Um, and we'll be right back after this break with Jordan Okrand and his song, Anyhow. Stick with us, folks. Everywhere, at least 
leaders that just don't care We all have the strength inside To lead the life we're fantasized Oh, and the truth will only be known If we rise up on the floor And the truth will only be known If we see what we really are The lion in our hearts And we can change the world You and me together And fight for what is right Truth, love, and light And we can change the world You and me forever If we realize what we are Everyday Connection on the Flow Cooperative, an entirely new stream on the scene. All right, welcome back, everybody. Again, that was our friend Jordan Okrand and uh, his song, Anyhow, and he did indeed during Occupy. He went and set up on the, it was like three concrete steps going up to the back door of some building and he, there he was singing, and the whole crowd started singing with him, and it was really very cool. Very cool guy, Jordan. He's been to visit you in the he Phoenix is. Nest, Jordan. Fuzzy yeah, little fellow he that he was. Official, when he came. First official visitor to the Phoenix Nest studio, absolutely. Yeah, much, much fun. And welcome back anytime. Amazing young man. Just absolutely. fun to be around. And, and very meaningful lyrics in his songs, many of which were written at like when he was uh, 14, 15, 16. It's just, so for all you people that think teenagers don't think about the world that they live in, 
piffle poofle, we say. Piffle poofle? Yeah. Yeah, because Jordan will teach you different. <laughs> piffle poofle. That's another one I picked up from my colorful parents. Hey, They're very that's expressive. a weird word. Kind of like woofing. Kind of like woofing, piffle poofing, woofing. Woofing. Um, we said before the break we were going to talk a little bit more about the solutions in the book and that we um, were talking during the break. And uh, and I mentioned that I wanted to talk more about woofing because I think woofing is a very, very cool thing. Um, for anybody that would, you know, you've heard me, Nikki, talk about run away to the Philippines and I ran off to Costa Rica. You know, I suddenly, I had big house and I'd had to downsize to an apartment and then I downsized to three suitcases in Costa Rica. And my dog, Molly went with me. But um, so how do you do that? Well, you know, because I don't have the money to pay for this and that and a place to stay and you've got to have a hotel. And isn't that expensive? You could be woofing. Almost all over the world, there's huge directories of woofing. But tell us, a little, you've been woofing, John. My first year around the world, I, I knew I was going to go somewhere, and I didn't know how. I joined Hospitality Club, and now there's something called couch surfing, where you write to somebody, and you say, can I stay in your house? But then I discovered this woofing thing, and this is, it stands for Worldwide Opportunities in Organic Farming. Uh, if people are interested, go to my site, jdrachel.com slash travels slash. Uh, first thing you'll see is a picture I took of the Dalai Lama when I was in Nepal or I was in uh, northern India. But right below that is a very long section on woofing, and it has links to Woof International. It has links. Uh, some, some places that you do this, you do it through under the auspices of Woof International, they have a listing of maybe 60 countries that they direct you to. Other countries have opted to have their own woofing organizations. For example, New Zealand and Japan and Italy and Switzerland, they all have their own individual uh, woofing uh, organization. But anyway, it's, it's very simple. You look, on the, you look in the catalog and you see, oh, this farm raises alfalfa, and they raise uh, sheep, and uh, their accommodations, they give me a room or they give me a caravan. So you write to them and you say, I'm available such and such weeks. You know, I'm a you know, 29-year-old uh, male, whatever, female. Can you fit me in? And they write you back, sure, come and woof with us. You go there, you volunteer 20 to 25 hours your time a week. They give you room and board. And the coolest thing about it, besides learning in many cases, skills and uh, agricultural processes that you may not know about. I was a city boy. I knew, didn't know anything about farming. It's that you're in the community working with people. You're actually living there. You're not a tourist. You're not staying in some hotel. Uh, you're, you're there. You're part of the, uh, the fabric of life. And uh, I woofed <clears throat> my first year. I started in Spain. I woofed uh, in a place uh, close to Portugal called Cuacas de Usta in a beautiful area of Spain. And then I went to Ibiza, which is the party island of, uh, for uh, Europe. But half of the island is hippies and the other half are... are uh, it's the big you know, party. Big party. Then I went to Switzerland. I spent five weeks in Italy. I went to Uganda, Kenya... South Africa, and my last stop was Japan. I moved two places in Japan. Uh, that's how I fell in love with this country. So um, it's a great experience. And, I mean, there's, there's pros and cons. Uh, 
my first two woofing experiences, I didn't actually do any farming at all. Uh, in Spain, I, I built uh, stone walls and I chopped down trees and uh, I, I killed this uh, weed that takes over everything. But I was in a beautiful, beautiful uh, setting with two interesting people, a photo model, female photo model from, the, from uh, Czechia and a young uh, philosophy student from England. Uh, and then in Ibiza, uh, I was with a bunch of crazies. It was one of the craziest things I've ever been involved in my life, but it was fascinating. There were woofers from uh, Poland and England and America and uh, South Africa, and it was an amazing experience. So if you want to do something kind of crazy and get your fingernails dirty, I highly recommend it. It's a great way to go, great way to see the world. Such an awesome way. You got to get there, but then you know they give you a place to stay. I, I looked at a place you can go woof in Hawaii. Hawaii, now, I know. You're, you're not going to be on Waikiki Beach, but I've been to Waikiki Beach. I don't want to go there. I, I fortunately grew up with parents who, when we traveled, we almost never traveled in a group or a tour uh, thing, an arranged thing. Um. Mom and Dad and I would sit and look at a map of where we were going, and we would look at things that we thought were interesting, and we'd look up stuff in the encyclopedia that was Google at the time. And um, but we spent time with the locals, and um, spending time with the locals is—I mean, look, let's face it—it's the modern world. You can go to Paris and still eat at McDonald's. Yeah. Well, <laughs> What's the point? Get a picture of the Eiffel Tower and stick it in the window of your local McDonald's, and there you go. That's the whole experience. Go, I want to know what these people eat. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to eat it. There's some people who eat some strange things. But um, I want to know what they eat. I want to know what they talk about. I want to know what they think about. I want to know their story. And I have never found much but really cool people when you arrive with that kind of attitude. And it really, some of these tours, bless their hearts, they're trying to work a job and they're whatever is their motivation. But some of them are really, you, you would get a better view of the country on Google. And, and, and so... Google you know, Street View, yeah. You go get your fingernails dirty with some of these people and work with them, eat with them, live with them. Uh, you'll find, I think, a whole different world that's out there. And, uh, but it's amazing to me the list of places you can go. Yeah, it's like 140 countries or something have uh, have hosts, and, and I'll tell you, I mean, some of them Senegal are... and and Sri Lanka and exactly, yeah. You know, you got a place that you've seen in a movie or on a poster, and you think, you know, I've always wanted to go there, but if you can get the airfare and get there, these people will trade you your 20 or 30 hours a week of work, which that's probably less than you're doing here in the states, and give you a place to live, food to eat. It's not like some hard. of them even give you a little um, stipend money on the side. Some of them. I, 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 that did happen in in Japan. Actually, the guy rewarded me generously because I was working eleven hours a day there. But he said he said this is way beyond what the approved guidelines are. How many hours do you think you worked extra? And I told him, and he handed me like uh, I think five hundred dollars. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so, so, but but you didn't go, you know. 
negotiate that in advance. You just went no. and were a willing participant in what was going on. It was a complete shock when he, this is my last day there. I mean, I, I had no the, idea this was coming. The said. generosity of people I find will amaze you as long as you go with that open, you know, let's just be part of the game. But... Um, but woofing, we want to be sure everybody knows. You, you go to you can go to jdrachel.com travels, and the stuff is there. Or, uh, but remember that woof is in this case w w o o f. Right. There's two w's World, at the front. Worldwide opportunities in organic farming. Or weed whackers on organic farms. That's right. Exactly. Perhaps I just stole that from your page. The, <laughs> but, most, the, the most the most interesting. Uh, uh, experience I had. Well, uh, no, I won't say, no. The strangest experience I had was uh, a farm in South Africa. It was in East London, South Africa, and they were raising uh, organic marijuana. Well, that that would probably be an experience. Well, it was it was it was kind of an unfortunate experience because I didn't I actually didn't uh, partake uh, while I was there. But unfortunately, they were. So stoned all the time, the farm was falling apart. But it was it was beautiful there. I have to say, it was, it was, I'm sure it was an experience, though. You it know. was an interesting experience. Yeah. When uh, when when people are looking for experience, they always you know, oh, I want to go to the day spa and the, hey, you get some, you get better books out of some of that get down there and get dirty experience. But um, you do absolutely. But uh, I mean, I want to go to the day spa too, but then I want to go see what's really going on. And, and pe- people always say, is it safe? Well, yeah, it's very safe. You show up at the farm, and if it looks like a situation you're not comfortable with, you just turn around. You're not under any obligation. You don't sign a contract. You just turn around. I, I had that happen in Kenya. I showed up at this one place, and it was a very dysfunctional situation. This guy was a local politician. He was running a kind of a scam computer school. I don't even know why I was there, except that I ended up... Uh, writing grant proposals for him uh but i did, really didn't feel comfortable in this other girl from america did we, we both agreed this is not a healthy situation uh <clears throat> so we gave him notice we said we're just not interested in woofing here now we went down the street about five kilometers to another farm that turned out to be a phenomenal experience so there's a lot of flexibility and especially if you go you know there's like 200 woofing farms in japan i think there's 120 in france uh, they're all over the world. You just choose your setting, and uh, the descriptions are are are, are usually pretty uh, lucid. You know, you can see what they grow, and uh, is it a family? Is it uh, are there children there? Are there dogs? Whatever. You just say, okay, this sounds like an interesting place, and you go, show up. Yeah, you want to know what life's like under the Tuscan sun? Eh, over there. Italy. That's, exact, that's exactly where I was. I was in Tuscany. It was an amazing. It was a olive, uh, olive farm and a uh, wine grape orchard, and the olives were just coming. Came in about a week after I got there, so I got to harvest olives. I was the tree guy. I was the guy that climbed up at the top of the tree to get those olives at the very top branches. It was fantastic. There were people there from Scotland. That's cool. And people from Australia. Yeah, and see, you can't, you just cannot, or at least it's very difficult, I think, to go stay in a commercial chain hotel and visit and get that kind of experience. They don't let you climb trees at the hotel. It's an insurance thing. 
It's an insurance thing. But um, they don't even in some hotels they don't even let you talk to the staff. I found that out writing my first book. I had to take the staff off the premises, make friends with them, and meet them off. Yeah, the premises. because that they might be goofing <laughs> off or who knows what. They don't be talking yeah. to the locals type stuffs. Yeah. But. The other thing is you don't meet people in hotels. I mean, how do you meet? You, you can go down to the lounge Ooh. and listen to the piano. I beg bar. to differ. Depends I beg to differ. Too. I actually, um, I, well, it, I guess it depends on, on who you are and how you go about it. I, I ended up making friends with the staff at the Hotel Manila the first time I went there. I was there on my own, didn't know anybody really except for one person, and I wasn't in contact with him on a regular basis. And um, I made friends with the local staff at the hotel I was staying at. And I got invited out to one of their homes to stay a weekend with their family during one of the festivals in, the, in one of the villages out in the provinces. And um, so I think, it's, I think it's how you approach it. I think if you go to any country with big open heart, open arms, and kind of, you know, this sense of curiosity about their culture, I think they will open up to you and, and, and share with you. Um, but you have to be looking for it. You have to want it. You have to be open to new ideas and, and to learning from them instead of going there assuming that you have something to teach them. But you're a beautiful woman. I'm an ugly old man, so <laughs> there's one big difference. But that's not a plus, though, John, because, I mean, I came back, and some of my friends that had lived in the Philippines, because I was working in Toronto, so, I mean, we had a completely multicultural staff. We had a couple of Filipinos on staff at the time, and one of them pulled me inside and said, what did you do? Are you insane? And I said, what do you mean? You went to the Philippines by yourself. You didn't blah, 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 blah. And, oh, my goodness, I got this hour-long lecture on how dangerous it was and what was I thinking. And I was only five foot nothing and not very strong. And I could have been kidnapped, raped, sold into the sex trade. And, oh, my goodness, the stuff that he was and, concerned about. And then you, and then you turned because around. Because I was. Yeah. Then you turned around and yeah. took your, what, 13-year-old daughter? Yes. And yes, the two of you wandered the streets blonde, of downtown Manila at like 3 a.m. Yes. Yeah. Nothing happened because, well, we were convinced that we were safe, but we were. <laughs> <laughs> and you but did. I always get along great with the staff. I was when I said you don't meet people. I meant other travelers. So I just came back from Cambodia, oh, yeah, Vietnam, and I stayed in a dorm. I mean, I can afford to stay in my own room, but I stayed in a dorm, and I met like. 40 people that were fans, because I'm in the dorm in, in this place called Sihanoukville, Cambodia, where I stayed for three weeks, and everybody's rotating around me. I'm the one permanent fixture in this dorm. So I met people from all over the world, really nice people, interesting people. So that's what, that's what I met, because if you're isolated in your own room, the only person you see is the room service guy, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah, you have to get out. You have to get out and be be curious be talkative be friendly and but again the thing is there's a lot of people that stay in those hotels they don't want to interact with the locals right they have no interest in the culture they want their room service and their turn down service and their massages and they want their pedicures and their manicures and their facials and their saunas and they're nightclubs, and that's it, you know. But that's not how I want to travel. Um, and and if I if I was single, didn't have a kid, I 
and had heard of woofing, I'd be all over that. Are you kidding me? That sounds like if I had known about that, if we had that available when I was in my teens and 20s, She'd been woofing. I would have been gone, like at the age of 16, see you later, never coming back. <laughs> You'd still be woofing. <laughs> yeah. I'd still you be woofing. Be. I would. You, I talk <laughs> I about totally Costa Rica all the time. It's right here on their on their webpage, woofcostarica.org. Yep. So yeah. you want to go to Costa Rica, you say, how am I going to do that stay in, in money in the hotel? No. And Costa Rica is a pretty short flight, and you would – I. The experience, if all you do is wind up somewhere where you're in the jungle and you just stand there for a few hours, is probably more healing than 10 trips to a doctor in the States. I'm just saying. Just, um, just once, once in your life, just one trip in your life can change your life for the rest of your life. It and some of these people... define for you your purpose and your perception of what this world and this living thing is all about. Because whatever it is you've seen on CNN, Fox, or any, any of them, pick one. I'm, I'm not going to pick on one of them as being what you see there is not what you're going to get when you go there. Mm-hmm. It's, no. it's, just, it's never been my experience. I'll put it that way. Never been my experience that it's that way. It, maybe it no. is when you go on a tour bus and you have a person telling you what to think about what's on the outside of those windows while you sit in your air-conditioned comfort. But when you get out there and sweat with the people, which you will do in Costa Rica, by the way, <laughs> even fun. little tiny Canadian women perspire than sweat. <laughs> but, you know, she was that was yeah. like a celebration day. She's I'm sweating. I was shining. I'm sweating. I was shining. Yeah, it and, was awesome. But so now we're getting like we're so that's woofing. But I now I want to get back to the, the book. Yeah, I want to get back to the book. I want to hear some of these solutions because. Here, here's, here's my reason for wrapping all of this up into that. Here's this really intelligent being that we're talking to right now. He's been all over the world, and now he's written this book that offers some solutions that we can, we can take and, and utilize and use them to make our society here in the States better, or in Canada even. I mean, people seem to think that Canada's got it so much better than the U.S. that we're doing it. But have you looked at our prime minister lately? Yeah, what happened? Like, <laughs> oh, dude, I don't you, know. You don't have man. to look past. You don't even have to look past to the, the national thing. Like, what about the mayor of Toronto? Don't, don't, don't <laughs> say it. Don't say it. I don't even want to hear his name. Don't I, say it. I, he's going to be gone I, soon enough. That in Japan, I mean, he's the laughing stock of the entire world. This is this guy's great, though. He provides a lot of comedic relief. You yeah, know? yeah, he's doing way better than. You know, he could be Saturday Night Live all by himself. And look at us—he's a distraction. He makes it's everybody. What he is. Oh, he—that's for sure. A lot of distractions. Yeah, let's not talk about what really needs to change or a possible solution to this situation. Let's talk. Let's about, talk about what Rob Ford is sticking up his nose this week. Come on, did people! Did you see really? the latest video? No. I don't care. Let's talk about the issues, David, and the solutions. That's what I want to talk about. I want to hear what you've come Some up with. And I don't want you to give it all away because I plan on reading this book and doing a book review on the show, and I'd like to enjoy the book, so I don't want to know everything that's in it. Um, but I'm don't, curious. Don't be, don't be scared of a little bit technical. We have very intelligent listeners. No, and, I know. Yeah. I, um, I just want to be boring. Okay, so first of all, let's plug the name of the book. It's called An Unlikely Truth. And right. unlikely truth, kind of kind of like an inconvenient truth, but that was I wasn't 
trying to cop that uh, the success of Al Gore's book, an unlikely truth. It is officially coming out March 24th, but it is available on Amazon right now as we speak. Um, the, the, the title is a pun. The name of my lead character is Martin Truth. He comes from a long line of people from Czechoslovakia. When they arrived at Ellis Island, he had, they had an unpronounceable name, Truskok. And the immigration guy said, let's what? simplify this. Let's make it T-R-U-T-H. So my guy is an unlikely truth. It's very unlikely he's going to get elected because he's a Green Party okay. candidate in a, in a conservative district. So that's what the title is. It's a pun. But it's also an unlikely truth that Americans can restore democracy, representative democracy, and take their country back. It's unlikely, but it is a truth if we make it happen. So in the book is an electoral strategy which does two things. It looks at each community and says, what's important to this community? And how does your representative vote? Your representative says, I'm going to raise taxes on the wealthy and make them pay their fair share. He goes to Congress. He votes against it. It connects people with the fact that campaign promises are just vapor, that oftentimes these guys say one thing and do another. Then it turns around and requires of any candidate a contract. It's a contract between him and the constituents that he represents. It's a legally binding contract, and if he doesn't follow the terms of the contract, issue, no, they're issue-specific contracts. So you have one on Social Security. You might have one on war. You might have one on taxing the rich. You might have one on the minimum wage. If he doesn't follow the terms of the contract, he is A, subject to a class action lawsuit with enormous financial penalties. B, he is required to resign from office his 91st day after taking an oath. It is a very, very severe document which puts him on the spot. Most incumbents will not sign this contract. It would be political suicide for them to. But what that does is it opens the door for a good candidate who says, I have no problem signing this contract. I want to protect Social Security. I want to protect Medicare. I want to end the war and bring the troops home. I want to have the minimum wage. I will sign these contracts, and I will be happy to go to Washington and do the job you elect me to do. That's the whole strategy in a nutshell. Hold them to it. They're legally, they literally, it, they, I hate to use this analogy because I'm not violent, but it holds a gun to the head of these politicians and says, words are words, actions are actions. You are going to put in writing what you're going to do for us or we're not going to vote for you. It's that simple. Now, this, is, this has been tried in a kind of a, maybe a less um, confrontational form in the with Grover Norquist, he had all these guys sign these pledges, I will not raise taxes. And even though that didn't have any kind of legally binding uh, uh, substance to those pledges, that thing, those pledges basically strangled uh, 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 our, our whole uh, taxation uh, reform 
for 20 years. I mean, th these kind of things can be effective if you are holding over their head the prospect that they will lose their election. That's the key to this, not the document. Yeah. If you don't sign it, you're going to lose the election. It's all about you have been elected to represent us over there. Right. See, there was no... I'm my soapbox. I see my soapbox. Um, because I, too, have a very deep love and abiding faith in the American people. Uh, and it it is that that makes me think that something like this will happen. And here's one of these American people writing down, look, you could do this. Because there's got to be something to get them out of it. It... it when, when, when this Constitution was written and this whole country was formed, it was people were, they had their own jobs and careers and lives and things. And you went to Washington to do your duty to, and duties may be a bad word, you went because it was what responsible people did if the folks from your town wanted you to go. But they all knew you. They pretty much knew what you were going to do. And they remembered the cherry tree that you chopped down. So if you didn't do it, they were going to throw you out because they knew you. And now these politicians are these untouchable things in these big marble buildings. What? It's supposed to be like, you know, somebody that you know. And so you know that they think a lot like you do. So you don't have to watch every question and tell them how to vote. You just believe they're going to vote the way you like. And we don't get to do that anymore. We get these funny snapshot things from the media. Goofy. I think we can get back. You know that in Finland, and I know Finland's a smaller country and so forth, but I think we can learn from what other people do. There are lessons to be learned all over the Always. world. And in Finland, that's what they do. I mean, you're, you know, you're pumping gas, and then all of a sudden you get the call, and you're sent to the legislature by your community, and the gas station owner has to hold your job for you during your term of service in the legislature. You come back, you still have your job. So they have school teachers, they have businessmen, they have doctors, they have all sorts of people serving in their legislature. They're regular people. They're people that are known quantities in their community, and they legislate, they create the laws for Finland. So it's not impossible. I know America's a big country and all this stuff's complex, but we can still send intelligent people that have integrity to do the job and seal the door so that the lobbyists don't get in, take some of the money that's available in terms of staffing, hire 10 or 15 or 20 bright kids out of college to do the research on all the legislation. Yes, the legislation is incredibly complex in the law. Have these kids, these interns, these uh, assistants, study this stuff. Do it all inside the office of the legislature. Don't listen to these lobbyists. Don't listen to the pressure groups. Most of this stuff is, is common sense. And, and the reason why our laws have wandered so far from common sense is because nobody looks at it in terms of what kind of country do we want? What's the right thing to do? They look at it in terms of where am I going to get my money? And if I don't vote for this, what's going to happen? I'm going to be thrown out of office. So I think a lot of the things that need to be decided in America, whether it's health care or taxation policy or 
military policy or how we spend our tax, all that stuff can be worked out. And if somebody, if we send people that are responsible to their own communities and responsive to the will of the public, which has been made loud and clear, we're going to turn the country around. It's going to be a much better place. And most importantly, we're going to be loved in the world again. One thing I've learned about traveling is people are in awe of America, but we are also one of the most feared entities in the world. We are now considered the greatest threat on the planet to world peace. That's not the America I grew up in. No, it's not what I thought America was supposed to stand for. And it is, as some sort of a fighter plane seems to be going over the patio here. Um, (laughs) How fitting. Thanks, George. Yeah, good good job, George. Um, It's just so odd, and it can be so easy. It. You know, the Constitution was built with, you know, life goes on. Life's different now than it was before. We've got to have a way to amend this, change this. Um, it, maybe it needs to be rewritten. It's not some hallowed document that was written by the hand of God, for heaven's sakes. It's a bunch of guys that were unhappy got together and said, this will be better. And if they had a better idea today, I tell you, they'd be in the back room trying to figure out how to make it happen, which is kind of what we're doing sitting here. But... You know, representative government, you know, the, the Senate of the United States, there's 50 states, two senators from every state, 100 of them in there, yeah? It's very easy to do percentages on the Senate. 60 of our senators are lawyers. Wow, that's scary. <laughs> look Sorry. around wherever you live in the United States, if you happen to live in the United States, look around your town, your community, your apartment building, your whatever. Are 60% of the people that live there lawyers? I hope not. And how many of them are millionaires? Well, we finally, in Congress, we just reached this year that more than 50% of the people in Congress are millionaires. More than half are millionaires. How is a millionaire going to have any idea what it's like to balance a family budget when you're for a family that makes $25,000 a year? You know? How, how, do they, they, how do they even have any reality of what a certain minimum wage level means? Exactly. They, you know, you increase the minimum wage. That I can guarantee they you can't that the squawking fathom. from Washington is: you increase the minimum wage, it will destroy jobs. They say it every time it comes up. It's and already started. I just, I just saw already. There's a whole bunch of economists that are that are complaining that it's going to. It's going to crash the economic system. But the truth of the matter is, is that the more money people make, the more money they have to spend, the more money they put back into the system. It has to start somewhere. Money is energy, and energy likes velocity. Energy needs to move. Common sense. It doesn't sit still well. You try to make electricity sit still and just keep pouring more and more electricity in there, eventually there will be a lightning bolt because that electricity wants to move, and money's the same way. Washington State... Uh, besides going to the Super Bowl and legalizing recreational marijuana, Washington State also has the highest minimum wage. And they voted it in, I think, in 2010, went up in two steps and blah, blah. Anyway, the same thing. All these pundits, economists, politicians, it's going to destroy jobs. These guys are hired. These are guns for hire. The truth is, 
the truth is that Washington has lower rate of unemployment than anywhere else in the country. Right. And as you say, it makes sense. Henry Ford, who's not exactly a scholar, had it right. I'm going to pay my, he said, I'm going to pay my workers enough money so they can buy the products they're making. Gee, what a stroke of genius, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, this, this is the thing. I mean, we've got a whole bunch of, like you said, paid economists, and that's the thing. But, oh, they're, they're economists. They have a degree. They've been to school. They're educated. They know you know, they know what they've been paid to tell you is truth. But like here's the reality of it. Degree. Listen, look at, look at your own life and the way that your family dynamic works. If you want to know how economics work, look at your family dynamics. Okay, look at your own life. Look at the way you run your household. Now, if you make more money, you spend more money, yeah? Generally, That's yeah. That's common yeah. sense. It's what we yeah. do, generally. Okay, so then take that out into the world, and what would happen if people made more money? They would spend more money. And if people are spending more money, then there's more jobs available because we have to make more products. We have to have more services. We have to have more entertainment available. I'm sure people you... don't want to sit at home and be broke. They and want I'm... to get out in the world. They want to be involved. They want to be engaged. They want to be entertained, certainly, definitely. They want to go woofing. These, these, these companies that cry all the time about how it's going to break them, what about Costco? I'm sure you've covered this on your show. But I, and I've heard two figures on this, but the one that I, the last I read, Costco pays its employees an average of $21 an hour. Somebody else said it was 17 but it's still way, it's almost double the, uh, it's more than double the uh, federal minimum wage. Costco is one of the most successful companies on the planet. They have terrific uh, employee loyalty. I mean, how many times you walk into a store and somebody's only been working there for three days? You go into Costco, they've been working there for 15 years, 12 years, 8 years. They know what's going on. They do a good job. They get paid very well. It has not broken the company. It's one of the most successful corporations in the world. Of course it's successful. It's, it it's basic common sense. If somebody behind the counter is being paid well for what they do, then they're quite happy to be there. Yes. And if... The person coming in and purchasing also happens to be paid well for whatever it is they do. Then they're also happy to be buying. And that's the thing. That's the ticket right there. People are pissy because they're spending money on groceries that they shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to save your entire paycheck to cover your rent, your groceries, and your, your, your basic human essentials. That's not living. That's surviving. And that's. That's, that's, it's, it's wrong. It's, it's well, messed it's up, and I don't understand how people can get it so bloody fast backwards. Well, well, it's well, no it's better than so being well. a caveman. It's really, it's no better than being a caveman, except that you have TV in your cave. You know, but yeah. you spend your entire time figuring out where your next meal is going to come from. It's but, I mean, you want people to be creative and inventive and, and productive, then you need to make sure that their basic human essentials are taken care of and that they have a little bit of extra time and a little bit of extra money so that they can do whatever it is they need to do to find joy in life. And that's the key. 
Right, so there, if you could just have people walking around happy, then this world would be a much better place. Not because people would be sitting on their beaches doing nothing all day, but because a happy person is the creative person. They're an inspired person. They're an engaged person, involved. They're a kind person. They're somebody who can smile and do something nice to somebody else. Generous. Not worried about the electricity being turned off in the next five minutes. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Swiss are are about to vote in a public referendum on a permanent minimum income for everybody. Not a minimum wage, a minimum income. Right. Just send you a check. You breathing? Okay, here you go. $2,800 a month. And that's the thing is, you know, how would I, that work for how would that work for you, Nikki, if you had twenty eight hundred dollars a month all of a sudden right now, coming in every month? You knew it was going to come in every month until you croaked. Well, well, I'll tell you what I wouldn't do, Richard. I would not quit doing the show. In fact, I'd do it better. Yeah, I would take because some of that money have to go and I'd clean houses on Friday afternoon. That's that's right. I would be able to do this to the best of my ability if I had that money coming in. I would be able to continue to create and inspire through my work, be able to talk to cool people like John from around the world and share those interviews with other individuals also from around the world. I wouldn't quit doing what I'm doing. I would just be able to do more of it. You know, I'm not a conspiracy type person, but sometimes I wonder if, if the system isn't intentionally designed to distract and to monopolize our time so that we don't have time to do what you're talking about doing. Because, you know, once you get people thinking and talking and so forth, it disturbs the status quo. And the status quo right now is serving a very tiny elite core at the very top of our society, and they're happy keeping it that way because that's the, that's the way they want it. So sometimes I wonder if that's why. Why is it that, like I said earlier, Americans are in 30, in the last 25 years, are working 20% more hours a week than they used to. It's steadily increased. And yet, real wages are flat. We actually make less money per hour now than we used to. We're at the same wage level as we were in 1967. Yeah. Would have thought we'd have had a little advancement by then, by now, or something. Why don't people... People understand this well because they're constantly being fed a stream of disinformation and propaganda by the American media, which is dominated by the corporations, which is owned by the tiny elite that don't care about the rest of us. I also do. So, what if I mean, the media was owned by the public? Here's and that's so you know, I mean, we're running out of time, we're gonna have to have you back, we're gonna have to go into this so much further. But I just want to end this on what if the media was owned by the public? What if you had public service stations that the public funded, and the media was responsible to the public's funding to share the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And there it is. People have to decide what are the fundamental rights and privileges that every every citizen of America should have access to. And I agree with you. Unbiased, instructive uh, uh, media is one of those things. I think health care is another. I think air and water. I mean, you have people that want to sell us the air and sell us the water. I think air and water, they're education. Well, that's the thing. Countries that pay for the 
entire educational experience of their citizens because they're not spending a trillion dollars a year on the military. That's, that's where all our money goes. But the fact is, we have to decide as a people, what is it that we as citizens, what do we have a right to, and then make that happen. And it will probably, that's why I said earlier, it's very, very fundamental systemic change that needs public banking, public media, public health care. Those are the things, if we decide and we make it happen, the, every, the quality of life in America will rise astronomically, and you will not have poverty there anymore. You won't it's have... skyrocket. It will skyrocket. And what about Canada? What happened to Canada? <laughs> we are... We... I don't even... You know what? That's a whole other show. They took show. a week off. Don't get me started. <laughs> I'm sorry. They took I, a week I, off, but... I no, we took a vacation, uh, like a total mental system ooh, shut down. Yeah. Complete. Like, except I, for a few. What we were thinking. There's been some good crazy Oh, Canadians, yeah, let's, but, let's vote them back in because that's a good idea. The yeah, because there'll be more out, Let's movies. vote them back in. I just, I, they. But. Um, <laughs> I, I just think that's funny because I used to look to Canada and say, no, here's a beacon of hope. Look. look yeah. Look how Canada. Now you guys have become like the pariah like, of the Tell you what, <laughs> yeah. he's, 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 he's very close to being done, and when he's done, he's not coming back, I hope. and then stuff's going to start to change, we, we need to and send, that'll be that. We need to send Rob Ford to pick up Justin Bieber on his way and then make them go woof for about okay. three years and then come back and see what happens. Now that would be a team. There you go. Um, Canadians both. Don't forget our freaking prime minister while you're at it. Jeez, send yeah. them. Okay, yeah, well, we'll make it a whole team trip. Um, but we are. We digress, um, which is what we do. It's a conversational show, not an interview show. Um, exactly. We have one question. We do. But look uh, at how much comes out of that one question, though. See there? And that's yeah, we, why we only ask one question. Yeah, because if we had two, we'd need to be here for eight hours to do this show. Um, <laughs> well, it's a very, it's true. very profound question. I've never, I, I, I had no idea it was coming. Boy, that, that certainly opens the, the floodgates, as you would say. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's question. the only question that I could think of, and I'm journalism trained. I have to point out to our listeners, and um, occasionally I have to tell our guests too, because they're stuff. confused by that. Um, I have a journalism degree, and it's the most, it's the only important question I've ever found in my entire career from, from when I, you know, high school days when I actually worked in a newspaper to college to, to now when I'm doing this for a living, this is what I do. Um, the only question that matters is, is who are you and what do you do? Because out of that comes brilliance. All you have to do is... if open the door for people to step through and most of the time they'll dance they'll sashay through the door with a little wiggle and go here i am in all my glorious being and 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 blow your mind if you just get out of their way yeah nobody's ever hung up on you eh? (laughs) nope that's good that's a positive we've had quite a quite a range of answers and uh, but it always leads to some brilliance in conversation it it uh well, if you're going to go woofing, if you're going to travel around the world and you're not really sure what to do, um, just wherever you show up, you get off the plane, train, or automobile, say, oh, hi, 
who the hell are you and what do you do? <laughs> you might well, maybe not. Who on earth are you? Yeah, who on you earth go. are you and what do you do? <laughs> I have to learn to say that in a good start. I have to learn to say that in Japanese, but you know, actually, Japanese people would find that very confrontational. They are so they're so timid and respectful here. They they oh. they would not cotton to that kind of inquiry at all. Oh no, that would be you know that's bad. You have to couch it in very polite terms. It's interesting these societal norms when you Japanese see some different ones. You know, and teach me, and yeah. then I'll ask it on the in Japanese in case we get someone that speaks Japanese. You never know. That's a, you know that's you another know. reason to travel is to just see how people every. Every place you go, they do things a little differently. So let me tell you a story. I was living, I was actually taught for a year uh, English here. And uh, about toward the end of my school year, I had a very advanced English class. And uh, they were kind of giggling, talking about something under their breath before class started. I said, what are you talking about? And they said, oh, well, no, nothing, nothing. I said, come on, come on. We're all, we're all adults. Well, you have a nickname in town. I do. In this little town I live in. Yeah, they call you the Naked American. What? 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 Well, I'm a very healthy guy, okay? And when the weather is nice, I take my shirt off, I hop on my bicycle, and I ride through the rice paddies and through the village and so forth. I just ride my bike all over. Sometimes I have this one route that I take. It's 20 kilometers, about uh, 14 miles. But with my shirt off, stupid me, I never noticed in all the time I spent here that you never, I never saw anybody with their shirt off. Even the farmers in the field do not take off their shirts. So I was the naked American. I was the guy driving a bicycle without a shirt. But you know what? It, this is the thing that's great about traveling is you learn every place has their own little idiosyncrasies and their own customs. And yep, their own, absolutely. And it's fascinating. And it it's gives you a chance to absolutely. see that I they're learned, really um, just society norms. They're not, it's not the way you were brought up and told this is how it is. It's not like that. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I, I can relate to that story a little bit. Um, when I was in the Philippines, I was wearing tank tops. And oh, Catholic quickly... Uh, yeah, I was quickly disabused of that notion. But I found in the provinces something really entertaining about, about the gentlemen that lived, the farmers that worked out in the provinces. They don't take their shirts off either, as a general rule. But what they do do to cool down is they roll them up and tuck them over their bellies. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They can so they show, don't take the shirt off. showing, but they still roll on it. the shoulders. Yeah. Absolutely. It's still on the shoulders. Yeah. So so like you said, there's little little things that people do, but you can learn a lot from them. Like in the Philippines, I love the way they say thank you because they have a special word at the end of their thank you. And, and thank you is salam, salamat, salamat. I guess I'm oh. pronouncing it improperly because it's been a while. But at the end of that, they add a word, po. So it's salamat po. That's thank you with respect. So tonight, John, I say salamat po for coming on the show because you have been an absolute delight. Thank you. Arigato gozaimasu, as we say in Japan. Arigato gozaimasu. That means thank you very much with respect. Doishimashite. Ah. <laughs> Good. I used to attend bar in a Japanese steakhouse. Um, <laughs> Come by. Yeah, well. <laughs> um, but really, thanks for carving out some time of your 
tomorrow morning for us that are still over here and today. Okay. And um, uh, just fascinating. And stick and, around for a few minutes after we, we get off the air here because I want to talk to you a little bit more just for a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so don't go away because we always have stuff to stay, say. And, and you folks out there, man, huge appreciation for all you guys listening. And don't y'all go away because we'll be back with more really cool conversations with amazing people because humans are awesome. You just got to find one and talk to them. Just ask Absolutely. Them. Be open. Who are you? What do you do? It's amazing where you might end up. Um, and uh, you can also join us in the mornings on the Flow Cooperative from 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern. Um, we're waking up every morning. And since that's 6 to 8 a.m. where I am, it's really, it's waking up <laughs> with everyday connection. So join us next time. But until then. To our mother, to each other, but especially to yourselves. Stay connected. Have a great now, everybody. Join Jane and Rick again next time. Until then, visit their website at everydayconnection.me and subscribe for news and updates. Stop by their Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everydayconnection and join the conversation. You can also subscribe on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your Everyday Connection. a flow cooperative bringing you the sounds of an awakening world. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details.